You're listening to Preservation Destination, the podcast where we explore the history of the built environment. Whether you are a preservation pro, dabbler, or just into fascinating history, you are in the right place. Join our host, Taylor Volz, as she interviews experts in the field of preservation as they pass their knowledge on to us. And here is your host of Preservation Destination, Taylor Volz. Welcome to this week's episode of Preservation Destination. Today, my guest is Brooke Tesler of Tesler Preservation Consulting. Welcome, Brooke. Hi. Nice to have you here. Thanks. Nice to be here. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. I grew up in Las Vegas and spent a good long while in uh, hospitality and the casino industry and then decided I didn't want to do that, so I went and spent time at the architecture school at UNLV, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and decided it wasn't a really good fit. I didn't like the culture around architecture schools per se, Mm -hmm. and transferred over into art history and had an amazing experience. And one of my professors told me that preservation as a master's degree existed. So I looked into that and New Orleans was really the only place I wanted to live on that list. And my husband was willing to live there. So I applied, got in, and moved. Oh, great. (laughs) I kind of had the same experience as an undergrad. I didn't realize that preservation was a thing that you could do. Like, I have have a bachelor's in American history, and I did a public history certificate, which is a lot of, like, I guess, like, public spaces kind of museums and that kind of thing. And one of the classes I had to take for that was a preservation class. And then my teacher was like, oh, you know, this is actually like an advanced degree that you can do. And I was like, really? Where can I go? And I did the same thing. I looked at cities. I was like, okay, New Orleans got one. There's one at SCAD in Savannah. Oh, I'd love to live in Savannah. And then I looked at the Natchitoches. um, I can't remember the name of the university. They have like a more technical program. I looked Mm -hmm. there. NCIPT something yeah the ncptt is in (laughs) academic yeah but the university there has like a technical program and then i think there's there was one other one that i looked at as well and i applied for a whole bunch of them and i got my two lane one back first and i was like done i didn't even have to wait to get the rest of them same here because that was the one i was shooting for i got two lane and then i didn't even finish the applications for the ones for the other ones in the process i was like yeah sweet i'm in Mm -hmm. now i have to find a place to live yeah (laughs) Exactly. And moving from out of state is difficult. Yes. Yeah. And from the West. Yeah. The West, not really familiar with the South at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I had the, mine was a little easier because I came from Georgia. So wasn't it's not too much difference. I mean, there's a little difference yeah. and it's a little bit colder there, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> I want to talk about the project that you're working on now, and then we'll kind of go back in time a little bit to talk about some of the stuff that you did before this project. You're currently working mainly with the Vucare Commission Foundation. And yes. um, uh, for those who aren't familiar, the Vucare is the French Quarter here in New Orleans. Can you tell us about that organization? Sure. The Vucare Commission Foundation was sort of chartered in 1986 to coordinate the 50-year anniversary of the Vucre Commission, which is the governing body of the French Quarter, architecturally speaking, and laid dormant for a number of years. Come Katrina, it was sort of all hands on deck, budgets got cut. They established themselves of a friends of as a friends of organization 
to support the VCC, who went down, I think, from 11 employees to two. Wow. After Katrina, if mm-hmm. I'm if I'm remembering that correctly, and they did everything like up until I mean, even through this year, they they buy water, bottled water, chairs, bicycles for the for an event. No, the um, they go, they look at the buildings. Anyways, so that the staff can bikes so that the staff can get to the French Quarter. Inspectors. Inspectors. Okay. <laughs> All right. The property inspectors. The property of the inspectors. The okay. building inspectors. Well, not building inspectors. So the VCC has its own inspectors. Right. And so because the VCC is located at City Hall and not in the French Quarter, mm-hmm. they bought them bikes so that they didn't have to worry about driving and parking and oh, they nice. could get there very easily. So moving on from that friends of capacity, which they do still do, do they started really moving into inadvertently i think initially preservation related things they did lighting study and a lighting design guide uh, lighting guidelines they did the overhaul of the historic district design guidelines for mm-hmm. the bucharest which hadn't been done since 1986 on a typewriter right. and so they paid the same person that did the HDLC's guidelines to come and do it for the Vucray. They wanted it to look similar so that there was a standardization across City Hall because ultimately what they're doing is supporting the VCC. Mm-hmm. And so they, but they fund all of their projects without any help from city government. They're a completely independent nonprofit organization. Okay. Like literally their mission, I brought it, their mission is, is stated to support and further the cause and constitutional charge of the VCC, which is to preserve and protect the invaluable historic heritage of the New Orleans French Quarter. And so they do that however they can or however they think they can. Mm-hmm. And it's great because because a lot of the things they're doing don't get a lot of notice and a lot of people don't know the name of the organization per se, especially mm-hmm. with the structure of the name of the organization. But what they're doing is very important. I mean, the design guidelines with pictures and and how to take care of your historic structure was very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people know the VCC, but they may not know that there are other supporting organizations that, that work with them together to yes. get everything done. Okay. Yes. Cool. So the big project that you've been working on with them in conjunction with City Hall is the creation of a virtual library of the Vucaray. How did that project come about? I started working with the foundation as my first internship with the program at Tulane. And in 2015, I think it was over the summer, they came to me and asked me if I could do this big kind of project, the that they thought they wanted, but had no idea how to do or who was qualified to do it. Very specifically, the president at the time, Kim Rosenberg, Mm -hmm. wanted to kind of each president gets their own baby, we call it. And this was her baby. She wanted all of the the physical documents of the Vucray Commission accessible to the public so that as a property owner herself, she, she and the other property owners didn't have to go to City Hall, put in a requisition, and, and to make the life a little bit easier for the staff of the, of the commission itself. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of somebody doing it, but thought it was an amazing idea. And so I was like, yeah, let's figure this out together. Me, it was me, Kim, and then the new executive director of the organization, Mary Hughes. And we just sort of started with scanning the slides first because the slides were deteriorating and they were going to 
become a non-entity, we weren't going to be able to, if we had, if we had done the foundation first and figured it all out first, the slide, a lot of the slides would have been gone. Mm -hmm. So I sort of did two things at once. I got this slide scanned, but while I did that, I met with various city hall departments and I spent a lot of time on Google Mm -hmm. and tried to figure out how do we make this resource function on the front end Mm -hmm. and then how does that look on the back end? And I knew that the foundation wouldn't really be able to support something like that financial in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense for even a, like the HNOC, who has a lot more funding, would struggle to, to maintain something like that indefinitely. Right. Because it is, for now, the intent is eventually it will grow. The staff will put their new documents directly into it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up talking with City Hall IT and they were so excited about it that it blew my mind Mm -hmm. and they were like let us host it let us figure this out let's make it part of the city infrastructure which solved a lot of my problems yeah um and so then once i got once i got the slides saved if you will i was able to figure out how to make the rest of that happen working with city hall Mm -hmm. so were you involved in the fundraising portion of the project not that much okay. because because they came to me with it mm-hmm. and it is it's their baby as much as it is my baby so it's sort of the impetus has been on them to do the constant fundraising for it but obviously i have to participate with paperwork for grants and updated cvs and any way that i can support them in supporting the project mm-hmm. you sort of do unpaid i guess in a way mm-hmm. but that's really kind of been all on Mary (laughs) yeah okay I was just curious like if they if you knew how they were going about it I imagine it's mostly grants probably it's actually mostly the foundation raising the money directly they have gotten a number a couple small grants LOS and the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation have given them some small grants very happy to have received those grants but it is that organization and Mary doing constant direct fundraising Mm -hmm. It is pretty great. Very much their baby as much as it is mine. So the project involved GIS mapping of the French Quarter to get accurate footprints of all the structures. I I was, you know, looking on the web, playing around with it, and I was like, this looks really cool. I really like the way it's set up. So we are going to do, I have another episode planned where I'm going to talk more in depth about GIS, but can you give us just a little bit of an overview about, like, in case people don't know what it is and how it works? Absolutely. So GIS stands for Geographic Information System, and it works well beyond mapping. It's it's a database program that uses the geographical information as sort of the foundation. So you have a point, a, a polygon. I constantly refer to my bu- buildings as polygons now, <laughs> <laughs> much to the confusion of everybody who's not me or like Ali in City Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it works in the way that like one of your Excel-based databases like Access works, except The spatial locations are important. We knew we always wanted an interactive map, and we thought that would be last. And we're struggling with what kind of database to use because technology is constantly changing. Right. And Access is no longer the premier database, but it was the one I was familiar with Mm -hmm. working in corporate marketing. And when City Hall came to me, City Hall IT came to me, um, Eric Eric Ogburn came to me. He said... um, I think the best database that we can do that's going to grow most easily over time and convert to whatever the next new big thing is, 
is GIS. And I was like, well, that's great. I wanted a map anyway. Mm-hmm. He's like, great, let's do it. And I was like, oh, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> Fun. So immediately I got done with the slides and I had had in the interim these conversations with City Hall IT. And I was like, well, remember we were talking about scanning all that other stuff and meta tagging? We're building a map now, guys. Mm-hmm. And the foundation was like, oh, I guess this is what we're doing. And they were like, give me a budget. And they made it happen. Wow. Yeah. They've been, we've all had to sort of roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it sounds like you're getting a lot of good support, which is always nice. It, it's great. I mean, even though Kim, the, the, the sitting president at the time is no longer president, subsequent presidents are still supporting it. Mm -hmm. The organization still supports it. Sometimes, sometimes with the turnover in leadership, you'll lose the support on previous projects. Right. But every time I talk to a board member about it, they're excited. They want it to keep going. Every time I talk to the staff about it, they're excited. They want it to keep going. And then I I really do think that that the partnership with City Hall is really the linchpin mm-hmm. because they know that they're going to have to front load for a number of years the cost of it until all of that archival material is digitized and accessible. But then eventually... The idea is to get a web form in place that's on the back end that the staff can use to fill it out, scan it in, and that becomes their main source. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, the foundation knows they can step back versus having to host it forever. Forever. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds kind of similar to another project that Save Our Cemeteries was doing with the cemetery records. Uh, They were building a form where they could go in and and just easily enter everything in Mm -hmm. versus all these old cards and notes from previous cemetery surveys. Always surveys. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they were, they're working. I think that's sort of an ongoing thing with them too. They're sort of building this database of different cemeteries. So that's not, it sounds like a similar type of thing. And it's so useful when you're dealing with, with objects in physical space. Mm-hmm. It's so useful to have the latitude and longitude because people hear GIS and they think, oh, well, it's showing me, it's like a Google map, but it stores so much information related to that piece of the map. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I had no idea mm-hmm. until I started playing with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something I, I, I have on my list to learn more about because it's nothing I ever have had any involvement with it to, to date. So I didn't either. Yeah. I had to, um, Allison Kummel from City Hall IT basically taught me how to do it. Nice. So yay, City Hall <laughs> IT. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk more about, about City yeah. Hall's help a little bit later. So I'd like to talk about now the, the process of digitizing the images that you used for the project. Can you tell us, like, how many slides there were, how, how far back do the images go, just kind of like that general information. Sure. So there were 40 to 44,000 slides. Wow. Dating from 1965 to Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. The city used slides until 2005. Well, yeah. I mean, it's New Orleans. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, they were all taken by the staff or submitted with applications. Okay. So nothing is quote unquote private. And it's all public domain. Mm-hmm. We looked at how much it would cost to send them out to get scanned. And it was, I don't know, $30,000 Wow! to have them scanned. They would have to leave City Hall, which they're not allowed to do. Mm-hmm. And that didn't, that didn't account for having paying someone like me or maybe cheaper 
come in and do what I call processing the slides. And that's making image one and turning that file name into the address, the date, and any of the notes that were written on the slides. Mm -hmm. So I started Googling it, as we do nowadays, and I had to write it down because it's been a couple of years since I looked at it. I found this company called SlideSnap, and they take the old projectors that have the 80 slide carousels, mm -hmm. and they attach with metal contraptions um, a high-end digital camera. The projector projects to the camera lens. Oh, okay. The camera automatically knows when to take a picture, and it t it's tethered to the computer, mm -hmm. and it loads a ginormously high resolution TIFF or JPEG, whatever you want, right onto the computer. Nice. So it still comes in as like image one, image two, image three. But I had the carousel right there and I could pull out one and I could change the file name and I could pull out two and I could change the file name. It it can scan. I slowed down its scanning a little bit because I wanted to make sure my edges didn't come out fuzzy. Mm -hmm. So there's the initial setup of it and you have to make sure it's balanced and level. But it was doing a full carousel of 80 every 10 minutes. Oh. But it took me an hour to do 80 to 100 slides. And so I had to clean them. I had to organize them so that file, so that kind of copying the file names made sense. Mm -hmm. And then processing those file names and capturing all the data that was handwritten on the slide covers mm -hmm. into that file name so that City Hall IT could just basically do a data dump at the end of the day someday when we figured out the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it, it took me, I think maybe seven months to do, it was like 43,893 slides. Wow. <laughs> that is quite a project. It was, it was, it was a good educational opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that That's when you call the school and say, hey, I need a free intern. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it was, it, you know, they had had an intern try it and, you know, you're doing four slides a minute on a flatbed scanner or four slides a, a scan on a flatbed scanner. Mm -hmm. And they might not know all of the information that is really relevant that's handwritten in pencil on these plastic or paper slide cases. So I think it was it was really important to have a knowledgeable person. I think that's where things get ruined and they don't they don't move forward. They want to hire somebody for $10 an hour to, let's say, scan paper photos or to do the meta tagging. And it's, you know, that person doesn't know necessarily. You're not paying an expert, so you're not getting expert information and data captured. Mm -hmm. And so I was glad. I was very pleased, one, to have a job, but two, to have an organization that cared so much to get it right. Mm -hmm. That's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you talked a little bit about the process. So once you got everything on, I guess, on the computer, mm -hmm. how did you store them until the website was ready? Everything lived on the VCC server on the City Hall website. Okay. And the staff started using those images to, I don't know, govern immediately. They were, I had my own little file on their server because I had to do it at City Hall. Mm-hmm. And I just saved everything and every day I kept saving it and they would go, hey, do you, have you done this street yet or this block? And I'd say, oh yeah, I've done it. It's in there. And they were immediately using those images as I was doing it, which was great because it helped me know for sure that this was going to be a useful tool mm -hmm. for them. We want this tool to be useful for literally everyone, but there is sort of an order of priority and, and you have to have that so that you can create something thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And priority one is the staff. Priority two is the property owners. Mm -hmm. 
priority three is architects, historic professionals, architects, mm-hmm. historian, preservationists, contractors, and then the public. Mm-hmm. Because if it's useful for all of those people, it's going to be useful for the public. Right. So once we knew that those slides that they were not using at all to govern, so decades worth mm-hmm. of information, we could really then go to the LOS or the Jazz and Heritage Foundation and ask them for money and prove that the tool was useful. Right. Before it was even a tool. Yeah. That's great. Do you know why the the records start like in the 1970s, you said, 60s, 1970s? Mostly the 70s, but there are some from the late 60s. And is that because that was when the VCC really started with their program? And like you said, they were all submitted publicly. Mm-hmm. And that's why they, they don't go back any further than that. So the slides only go to that far back. Uh-huh. But the paper photographs that are being done now by Heather from Gambrel and Peak mm-hmm. go back to the late 30s and 40s. Okay. So back to the back to the beginning. Okay. I guess if you will. Mm-hmm. I what is the oldest one she sent me so far? We nerd out a lot and she texts me Yeah, pictures. oh I bet. <laughs> it's a lot of nerding. I think 40 43. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I haven't seen everything that she's done every day right but so it was paper photographs so they you know you had to go film and like with actual film you know back in the old olden days right (laughs) um and develop it and then use those Mm -hmm. so once they did slides the slides were easier for presentations it was the original powerpoint yes yes so there are a lot of slides of a slide picture of a drawing so that it could then be used in a presentation Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then but i guess that's good because i feel probably some of those drawings disappeared and all that was left was maybe the slides. So some of them might be gone or hidden somewhere in the main public library. And, and I think it's better to have duplication than missing information. Right. So we are definitely going to have duplication. We know that we knew that going in better too much information than not enough is our motto. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. So you did, you talked about where the slides came from, that they're all public part of public domain is there going to be any push maybe in the future to have um, private collections added to the system or no. donations or no okay so it's all no. going to be public record stuff that would be what we call mission creep okay where your mission sort of is adjusted to account for other entities so you have to be careful with that with like grant funding and stuff like that this is a, it's part of city hall it's part of the city hall domain which means it's public domain Mm -hmm. when you get into private images they may or may not be relevant there's an accessioning process that is laborious and there are other organizations that are willing to do this sort of thing you can do it through the louisiana state museum the historic new orleans collection they'll take these items Mm -hmm. but this is very much about the vucre commission okay so we want to kind of keep that as pure as possible because those are the official records. Mm-hmm. The idea is that it's the official records that are technically public made accessible. That sounds good. So if I had a collection of stuff, I would go to the HNOC and try to give it to them instead of to yeah, the city. <laughs> the HNOC or the Louisiana State Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my sort of side gigs is working at the Louisiana Historical Center, which has an immense archive mm-hmm. of Louisiana and New Orleans very specifically. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not saying I have a collection of anything. <laughs> I haven't lived here long enough. No. I don't think to have that kind of a collection, but I'm always curious Yeah, because you hear about people donating things. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering how that worked. Well, we never know what we're going to get asked in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to have an answer. That's yes. And that's why I do this to help <laughs> provide some answers, hopefully. So Heather's been helping you with the paper photos. Mm-hmm. Why did you have to bring her into the project? Was it just because there's so much to do that you needed another professional to help you or because now you're working on the next stage and your focus is on the next part of it? We always knew my role would transition over to project manager versus 100% boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. So I knew I didn't want to keep scanning. I have to figure out how to make the meta tagging happen. Um, All of these other moving parts OCR scanning the paper documents, which is optical character recognition. So if you've ever been on Ancestry or newspapers.com and handwritten words and typed words are searchable, that's op- those, those documents were scanned with optical character recognition software. And we want to do that with all of the, they're called property files. Mm-hmm. So all the applications and architectural drawings and everything like that. And I knew Heather, I knew I could trust Heather <laughs> to do it mm-hmm. and do it well she's into the details like I am yes yeah so and I knew that she was somebody I could have start doing some meta tag testing okay so with the paper photos she's also doing what we've determined are our first 20 meta tags we won't be able to roll out the meta tags until we get those 20 meta tags done over at the slides person you know what I mean mm-hmm. but what are the problems she's having we needed somebody to sort of do a trial run of that okay so I knew I could trust her with this sort of big task that doesn't sound so big and it would be done well Mm -hmm. while I could focus on other aspects and the foundation hired me part-time to do program managing because they want to expand their reach and their their assistance with the Vukre commission Mm -hmm. and I know it so well now yeah. <laughs> and I know everybody over at City Hall that I need to know. And and so I'm sort of wearing two hats. I'm the program manager of the Vucre Commission Foundation, and I'm Tesler Preservation Consulting. Yeah. <laughs> but and it's been great having Heather do it. It was nice to take a step back from, from the scanning, mm-hmm. in a way, if mm-hmm. I can be honest. Yeah. I liked it, but... I like doing the bigger pieces better. Yeah. Now you can focus more on the big stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, the all the scanning and the mapping that you've been doing has sort of amassed into this website that, that is currently accessible to the public, right? It is. We have, we're doing all of our PR, obviously, right now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's it's been live for about a month or maybe six weeks. It's vucare.nola.gov. But we know that not everybody can spell Vucre. Yeah. <laughs> so we also pin down frenchquarter.nola.gov, and it will direct you over to vucre.nola.gov. Okay. Okay. And basically what you first look at is a map of the French Quarter. And it, within the GIS map I built, I updated, rectified, relayed the historic color ratings of each building. Mm-hmm. So in the French Quarter, each building has a color, and its color designates how specifically or stringently it's governed, which most of them are very strictly governed. Mm-hmm. Um, so your cathedral, your Pontalbas, Cabildo, Madame John's, those are purple. Mm-hmm. It's the highest. They have national markers, things like that. 
Your blue is going to be Beauregard Kai's, Ursuline Convent, the church. The convent's purple. The church is blue. Anyways, I know too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's your significant local importance. Most of the quarter's green, Mm -hmm. which is of importance. Yeah. You know, and then you've got your brown, which is um, defined as objectionable. It's always interesting to yeah. uh, have to tell someone who owns a building. Um, so <laughs> and there's you, a pink too, right? There's a pink. It, the pink could be good. Okay. It has potential to be upgraded. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's contributing, but not important. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tricky. And, and that map hadn't been updated since 1985 or 86 mm-hmm. when um, Hillary Irvin Somerville hand drew it. Wow. And hand-colored it well, in. come a long way since so, then. So she worked so diligently on it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, I mean, the the footprints of the building have changed since then. Mm-hmm. As much as we would like for the French Quarter to be stagnant in a way, it is part of a thriving city. Right. And sometimes buildings fall down like that one a couple of years A-ten ago. A-10 Royal, it's fine. A-10 <laughs> Royal, it's fine. It's fine. That other building didn't need its balcony anyway. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. So you click on the building or you can search by property address and that pulls up. I I spent two years working with a committee to come up with all the definitions we could possibly think of that somebody needed to understand the French Quarter. Mm -hmm. It was fun. It's a lot of words. I did. I did scroll through it on the website. 509, I think, is what the final count came to. And we've since then found some holes we're going to fill in. Oh, wow. So it's going to get bigger. Yeah. What I did is when I built each polygon footprint, Mm -hmm. um, I designated type style, whether or not it's part of a listed easement with the VCC. Is it primary, a primary or secondary structure? So your, your dependencies versus your main house. Okay. Kind of a lot of things. The, uh, the historic address, we tried to capture as much of the historic address as we could. Right. So if you are at 510, 512, and it only goes by 510 for billing purposes, if you will, or government purposes. Right. On on the website, it will say 510-12. Okay. We wanted, because a lot of the documents that are going to come behind it are going to be for 510 or 512. Mm-hmm. And we want them to end up in the same place. And the same with the slides. Some of the slides were 510, some were 512, some were 510-12. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, between 1965 and 2005, a lot was done. Right. <laughs> a lot of things merged. Yeah. Unmerged. <laughs> fell down. Were rebuilt. <laughs> got torn down. Yeah. So we have all of that. And then all the slide images are already attached. And you, we had to default by the earliest year because we have so many wonderful images that it would slow down the user. Mm-hmm. But you can view all. You can sort by year. You can view all. And then if you click on the image, if you get lucky and there was a little note written by the staff on there, that's where you'll find that information. If you okay. enlarge the image, there it'll say courtyard, or in, so there's some interior millwork mm-hmm. slide images in there, which is I'm fascinated by. But again, nerd. Yeah. Um, I didn't find any that had any notes. I did expand some to see yeah. how it worked, but I wasn't lucky enough to find any that had any notes with it. So I have to keep playing with it. Yeah, they're there, but you know it's hard. Are the notes useful? Some are, some aren't, but. The idea was that nobody had to go back and look at a slide. Mm-hmm. All the information on it was captured. Mm-hmm. 
So for better or worse, the information's there. It's there. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you can tell it's a courtyard by looking at the courtyard, you're going to get that note they wrote. (laughs) Well, that's good. I think in some cases, like you said, it's better to have too much information than not enough. Yeah. And then you, if you roll over, if you just roll your mouse over Port Cashier Townhouse or Creole Cottage or Greek Revival, it'll give you a little preview of the definition. Mm-hmm. And if you click on it, it'll jump to that definition in the glossary. Okay. So, and the glossary is searchable with your control F. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really neat, I mean, I've just been playing around with it since you sent it to me for a couple of days and it's really, really fast. And I was trying to find buildings that I knew. Like mm-hmm. I was like looking at the map, trying to find places that I had been before. Or obviously I knew all the ones that would be purple. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty easy. But I was trying, I was like, oh, my friend used to live in this back here. Let me see if I can find it on the map or if there's a picture of it from before. And yeah. there wasn't, but that's fine. Right. But, you know, there's not going to be pictures of every single, obviously, uh, individual building. But I think we do have at least one okay of every building there was some like I put a space after something like at the end of the file name and so things didn't import over 100% cleanly although City Hall did tell me that there were only like 40 errors and I guess that means it was the cleanest data they've ever gotten oh wow so <laughs> I'm still patting myself on the back yeah. for that I mean I'm not gonna lie that many files yeah yeah I was That's like well, pretty impressive thank you <laughs> Um, but I did want to make sure that there was at, le- at least one image for every single building address. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I made a little Excel spreadsheet and I found the images and I linked and I gave it to City Hall and they linked them up. So if there's not, I'm going to be really sad. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to go back and look at it. It may just look a lot different now than it than it did in the picture. I'll have to go back that, and look There is at a it lot of see. that also. And yeah. then there were some where if it said, you know, 100 block of or well, I should say, 200 block of charters. I don't have a specific building to attach it to, so they all got it. Mm -hmm. So the building may or may not exactly be in that photograph, but its neighbors are. Yeah. (laughs) As as opposed to not having it linked at all, and then, again, losing that information, at least in the short term. Yeah. Okay. More than less. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you talked about the glossary a little bit and for the web interface. Can you go back and talk about what meta tags are? Yes, as much as I can. Okay. (laughs) Um, So meta meta tags are the identifying markers that are given to a website or an object or a piece of data that allow you to search it. So if you want to look for fish scale shingles someday in the future not right not yet but someday (laughs) in the future if you want to find fish scale shingles Mm -hmm. because you're repairing some or you think your building had some you will be able to go into the search field and type in fish scale shingles and it will pull up every image that exists in that database and on that website that has fish scale shingles Mm -hmm. and so that initial marker that allows you to do that is called a meta tag okay that makes sense. Okay. So I guess eventually that's sort of your your plan. Is it to have all those tags for specific architectural details mm-hmm. or beyond just, I guess, street names and, and numbers? Very much so. So that glossary was not only a useful tool, meant to be a useful tool for users of the website, but to eventually be our list of meta tags. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, we're not going to meta tag an image with like CZO, city zoning ordinance but all the ones that matter 
two images, architectural details, you know, balcony, gallery, and then cast iron, wrought iron, mm-hmm. slate shingles, asphalt shingles, which, you know, there shouldn't be some tar, for example. Doesn't mean there's not, but... And all of that is eventually going to be tagged to all of the images, whether it's the slide or the photographs. Mm-hmm. And then once, so once the OCR scanning is done of the documents, every word becomes a meta tag. Every single word okay. of that document becomes a meta tag mm-hmm. in a searchable term. So I was trying to figure out like what you were saying with the OCR. OCR, Yes. Right. Okay. Optical character recognition. Because it's not really, with these, it doesn't work the same as it does with a picture of somebody's face. No, not in it's the not, least. Not, not the nope. same thing. Okay. Nope. Works. It's more for the tags, the meta tags. Yeah. Okay. So the optical, yeah, the optical character recognition is going to be scanned on Word documents. Mm-hmm. So where you're handling them very differently than you would a photograph. So that you can search for a violation appeal from 1954, for example. And mm-hmm. some of these documents will be very easy to scan. They're on regular paper. Some are typed on onion skin. Oh, That'll be fun. Yeah. (laughs) Some are letter size, some are legal, some are giant architectural drawings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's going to get a little tricky, but luckily the software means that we don't have to go in and meta tag all of these paper documents, Mm -hmm. all of these word documents, if you will, Mm -hmm. like we do with the photos. Yeah. So is that the same type of... you know this or not. I'm just trying to think of some yeah. other situations where like I may have come across this type of software. Like when you go to the library and you're in the archives and you're searching for, I don't know, somebody's last name and you've got all the uh, bills of sale and mm-hmm. you're searching through the computer at the library that they've all been scanned in and it picks up that person's name mm-hmm. or last name. So that's basically the same yes. type of software. Okay. I would... I would assume in order in order for them to digitize those things it, with any efficiency, they had to have at least an early version of that software. Okay. Yeah. It's so incredibly useful. And we did look into like recognition software for meta tagging the photos, but according to my city hall IT people whom I trust implicitly, <laughs> that soft that recognition software for images is just not where we need it to be, especially mm-hmm. dealing with what can sometimes be grainy historic images or faded. Some of those slide images were faded or pinked. Yeah, I don't know I if you some ran of, into some yeah, of that. Yeah, I did see some of those. So the recognition software isn't really going, for photographs, isn't really going to help us at this juncture. I'm sure in about 10 years, they would make me obsolete. Mm-hmm. But for right now, yeah. <laughs> I still have a job. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you can only do with what you have, with yeah. the technology, just like in 1985, things were drawn, you know, and now we can do it on the computer, which is, which is great. So cool. So I want to go back and touch, touch base again about the support from City Hall. Mm -hmm. It's just so good to hear that the government is helping you and that they've been so involved and so excited about this project. Like you don't always get that from some, you know, from some things. No, it's, um, I literally cannot say enough about it. I think, Hopefully, it's hopefully the obstacle people run into, not hopefully, run into is, is funding. And that, I think, pre- prevents a lot of really neat projects that the actual people at City Hall would like to see done, done. Mm-hmm. The funding's handled. They don't have to worry about the funding. I mean, and City Hall does fund in a way that it does 
employee hours. Mm-hmm. You know, the employees aren't working on this off hours, for example. So they're, some of their pay, I guess, is funding it indirectly. Mm-hmm. But City Hall IT is, is lovely in that they love data, and this is data, mm-hmm. and they want that data open to the public because it's public data. Mm-hmm. And so they love that there's a way to make that happen. And they, I think, are sometimes more excited about it than I am, if I'm being honest. I've had five really amazing people in City Hall IT that work with me very reg- regularly. Eric Ogburn, Chris Ard. Oh, Carrie, I'm sorry, I forgot your last name. Ali Kumal and JB Roush. And they have just dropped things to get things done for me and then picked it back up. Minus mayoral requests. I do not trump any of the mayors. Right. <laughs> I've learned. Um, and it's been fantastic. They get, they, even through the, some of the development, they would tell me they got lost in rabbit holes playing with the website when it was still in its development phases. Mm-hmm. Everything they've had to say is so complimentary. And the VCC staff, they were happy that I scanned the images and they're already using the website to govern. They're so, I got an email from uh, one of the staffers yesterday about how much she loved it. Legal was like, hey, just don't, social, don't show social security numbers. And I was like, deal. Right. <laughs> Hopefully they aren't on any of these pictures. They shouldn't be, <laughs> but deal. <laughs> and they were like, cool. Done. Go have fun. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's been, it's been great. And, you know, sometimes in this city, we get a little down about our government. Mm-hmm. Maybe all cities. I don't know. But, no, it's I've had such a great experience. I could gush about it for about an hour. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really good. I think there's... DeMay, Caroline DeMay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think there's... Sometimes there's a feeling that preservation sort of exists in a vacuum. And I think it's important to understand that the more groups that can work together to get things done, the better it is. And usually it works easier. And when you build that, those relationships and those support systems with other organizations, it, it can be like nothing but helpful. To have a public private partnership like this has, has just been, I, we've been so fortunate, Mm -hmm. just so very, very fortunate, you know, a lot of cities don't take preservation seriously mm-hmm. and maybe not all levels of the city of city hall itself take it seriously and it can get a bad rap a lot hopefully tools like this can change that perception i don't know maybe that's a lofty goal on my end but i accessibility and and normalizing it can't hurt mm-hmm. i think it probably helps to make their lives a little bit easier to if somebody calls about something or they can direct them to a one-stop shop and there's none of this having to come to city hall and pull it by hand and like it's making their their work is easier Mm -hmm. and so that's probably part of why you know why they like doing it too what we would really like for this to truly, truly help the VCC staff is for property owners and developers and contractors and architects, if you wanted to open a window or close a window or make some one, some of those major modifications that people want to do, you have to prove that it existed that way in the past. Mm-hmm. So look there. This is one of the places you can look and to maybe not bring inappropriate requests to the VCC that right. they can't approve even if they wanted to. Yeah. It'll it'll help them maybe hopefully not get 
more things they have to keep denying because that's that's not fun for them either. Right. Yeah. It, it saves saves everybody time in the mm-hmm. long run. Yes. You do your do your research up front, hopefully through the website, and then you don't have to waste your time presenting things to the VCC and then waste their time. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We want it to save everybody's time. Researchers too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Us historians. <laughs> Well, you know, we all love, no, not not all of us. Not everybody likes doing research. I guess it depends on what you're into. Yeah. I, I'd like to, okay, so we talked about you're the program manager for the project. You kind of moved forward um, from doing the legwork to actually doing like PR and other things mm-hmm. like that. So what has been um, your process of promoting the project and letting people know that it's available? Anything anybody will let me do to talk about it. (laughs) Um, it, It's little things like I'm in. So as program manager for the for the foundation Mm -hmm. versus project manager for the library, I do posts on social media and being in charge of those posts instead of posting an image of a Creole cottage or one of the images from the VCC agenda and pulling that image from the documents submitted with the application. I go pull it from my virtual library and then I give credit Mm -hmm. to kind of bring awareness to it. We have a good relationship with the advocate. So their, their articles, a boon. Esri, E-S-R-I, Esri is the parent company of ArcMap, which is the GIS software. Mm -hmm. And so they want to do something about it in their publications. Oh, great. And their, their online blog and, I have an email out to the PR people at City Hall because mm-hmm. this could be a feather in their cap, I think. Mm-hmm. Their their staff has been amazing. The staff involved has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Anybody who will let you, anybody who will <laughs> let me talk about it, Yeah, I want to talk about it. I want, even if other historic districts don't pay me to do it, I want this as a tool mm-hmm. for all of us. Yeah. Do you know of any other cities that have something developed like this? I do not. Okay. I can't say for sure that there aren't. If there are, I would love to trade war stories. <laughs> um, I did present it at the Southeastern Society of Architectural Historians Conference last year in mm-hmm. 2017 in Virginia and had amazing, amazing feedback. And I didn't have my website yet. I just had some like back-end GIS maps that I pulled I wasn't done building the map, and they loved it. Austin, some of the people that work in the city of Austin were like, so how much does this cost? I was, and I told them, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it costs a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to need a, you're gonna need a private organization willing to bankroll it. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to work very closely with them, and you're going to have to be very flexible with how it rolls out based on that fundraising. Mm-hmm. And they were like, let us know when the website's up. And I was yeah. like, will do. <laughs> Well, hopefully, I mean, I guess I'll have to do some research and see if I can find something else. But hopefully this will be sort of a new era for this type of project. And maybe some people can see what you've done and, and create their own hopefully. type of thing. I know the HCLC has has seen it through some of its phases and is not opposed to having somebody do it for any of their historic districts. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to having somebody, anybody fund it for any of their historic <laughs> districts. They're fine with that. Yeah. And they have many. So many. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be, that would be great. I was nosing around their website for something else the other day. And, and it's just, you know, sort of like the outlines of the district. It would be nice to have more information in there for, for their stuff too. Because a yeah. lot of people want to know, 
you know, like they're like, I think I'm in a district and you can kind of see the outline of the map, mm-hmm. but it's like, eh, and then you have to call or email somebody to make sure. Yeah. And like, it's a whole thing. Like I could, I could see how something like that would be very beneficial for an HDLC. Yeah. And it really, it really takes the property owners of that neighborhood to want it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's essentially what happened with the foundation. It, the foundation started out as property owners people living there that wanted to preserve it Mm -hmm. very grassroots as we call it now but um it really takes the property owners willing to do the fundraising and hire the right people and really caring about their district Mm -hmm. and that happens when it can but we all have jobs and families and yeah (laughs) other responsibilities but it's nice that that the the french quarter the vucre is small yes because let's say the partially governed Uptown Historic District would be an immense undertaking. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, some of the other ones would be a, a much bigger project, yeah. I think. Well, and I, it would probably have to be a different type of scope as well because it may not work using public documents in other areas. Like, this has worked so well. Yes. It, it may have to re- – it would – not necessarily, but I could see where some – some other types of projects like this may, would have to rely on public, I mean, uh, private collections too, depending on how yeah. the district is set up and, you know, how all that stuff how works. How big the collection is. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of, of the of the private collections, I do just want to give another shout out to the Historic New Orleans Collection. Mm-hmm. They worked with us very diligently on this glossary. Their Vucre survey is fantastic. I used it to help me. And we have what we call deep links so I don't know if you noticed that there was a little like a little italicized more information I didn't see it it's right where um like where all the data is regarding the property okay and if you click on that it will take you directly to that property on the historic New Orleans collections Vucre survey oh nice because we don't want to double work we don't right. want to we don't want to do what they're already doing that's not a good use of our funds we have a great relate at the foundation has a great relationship with them and so when they do their website update, they're going to deep link back to us mm-hmm. so that our information crosses instead of competes. So as a, so they're called deep links because you don't just get sent to the VC, to the Vucre survey. You get sent to that property at the Vucre survey, which means if they do an update, they have to let City Hall know yeah. <laughs> that those link, those uh, URLs have changed. But we don't want to do double duty. They're a great organization and they they work together with us and we work together with them and so you can actually you can actually get to them now but you will be able to go back and forth in the future okay that sounds really great yeah they have amazing they've write-ups that i think were done by hillary Irvin somerville and historic images we don't have and scans of sanborns and all of that great data there's no reason for us to duplicate it Mm mm-hmm so you have a lot of experience with social media and marketing, including working with the Louisiana Landmark Society and the Peatot House, which I've talked about a little bit in, in previous podcasts. What did you do when you were working for them? I started out as a temporary employee covering for their admin while she was out on maternity leave. So while I did that, I, I learned a lot of the back end part of it. And they do a lot of advocacy work. So it was Mm -hmm. really, really educational in that sense. That wasn't something we learned much of in the program at Tulane. Um, And then running a historic house museum, Mm -hmm. which is invaluable information, even if you never do it again, to understand how those those things are run. 
Um, and then after she came back, there really wasn't a spot for me. And I sort of convinced them to create a sort of on-call part-time spot for me doing fundraising and social media. So mm-hmm. I helped with their first uh, gala. I think that was 2015. We didn't raise a lot by larger organization standards, but we mm-hmm. raised a lot for them that first time, sort of last minute thrown together. And then I would do give NOLA day for them. And I went, I actually, they sent me, they made a connection with the Loyola marketing program and sent me over there. And that's where I got most of my social media knowledge was mm-hmm. meeting with the, the kids in that bachelor's program. And I took everything I learned about social media marketing there and created a plan because I'm good at lists and planning mm-hmm. for for Louisiana landmarks to use and did some of their social media, show, you know, so that they could see, so we could test out what posts were six and formats and campaigns were successful and all of that. And then they brought in a new admin and a new executive director and they were able to take on more of those tasks and didn't really need me as much. And I had come into the project with the foundation and, my, and the, the virtual library. And so it just sort of fell away organically. Mm-hmm. But it was it was great having that access to the Loyola team because in my previous jobs, although they were marketing focused, at the time, social media wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was good to learn that. Mm-hmm. And it is constantly evolving. So I, I, do, I do try to read up on it and go to any training classes that they offer for nonprofits because your nonprofit marketing is very different from your corporate marketing. Right. You know, I got accustomed to having budgets, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to get very creative. And every time Facebook changes an analytic, it changes how you have to market via that avenue. Mm-hmm. And with preservation, you do still have a number of, of your constituents who prefer paper. Mm-hmm. So you do, you do still do a lot of mailers, a lot of letters, a lot of emails. Mm-hmm. But they like the paper more than they like the email. Yeah. The email is still useful. It's still it's worth doing it doesn't cost anything outside of time but the paper and the social media seem to have the biggest return on investment if you will Mm -hmm. do you think that it it would be beneficial for preservation preservationists um, whether they have their own company or they work for a nonprofit or something like that do you think they, they can benefit from some marketing and or social media training or both both and no I think we all need a little bit of that training in our lives, just mm-hmm. generally speaking. I, you know, both of them. If you're if you're going to go into the nonprofit sector, you have to do it. If you're not, it's probably not as important. Mm-hmm. Or if you're going to go in business for yourself, if you're going to help run a business, you should definitely do it. Right. If you're going to go over to FEMA or Shibo, you don't really need it as much. Mm-hmm. I would say the biggest thing that I think a preservationist needs training in outside of GIS, regardless of what avenue you take, is probably just overall nonprofit management. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you work at a nonprofit, most most of the preservation effort happens at the nonprofit level. Mm-hmm. They're really like the infantry, the boots on the ground. They're the ones doing the day-to-day advocacy work. They're fundraising. They're showing up at council meetings. Mm-hmm. They're hiring people like me to do these projects that you don't know you need until they exist. Mm-hmm. And even if you never, ever work with a nonprofit, knowing 
or for rather a nonprofit, you're going to work with, for, or against one. Mm -hmm. And knowing how they run, how they work, how they fundraise, where those funds go after they're raised is really important to how you approach them. Whether you approach them for a job or try to critique them, I I got very lucky that I kind of fell into that during grad school Mm -hmm. because I can't think of anybody that came out of my year of the program or anybody subsequently that hasn't interacted with a nonprofit Mm -hmm. in a very major way. And like I said, even if you don't work for one, knowing how they work will help you immensely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. Because, I mean, I can, all of the major organizations that I can think of here would would all be nonprofits. And I imagine it's the same in, in other places, too, outside of, like, SHPO offices. Right. But even the SHPOs are going to have to deal with the nonprofits, mm-hmm. you know. Or FEMA, you're doing emergency management response. You're going to rely on nonprofits. Um, you know, your historical societies are nonprofits, and they house the data, if you will, the mm-hmm. historic data. Mm-hmm. It, they're just so so important and really I don't think really get the credit for that I didn't know Mm -hmm. so what is your um, this is my favorite question to ask (laughs) ask people their favorite things about preservation what is your favorite thing about preservation saving a place of history and really that's just the base of it it's you know it's not always about type and style although that tells you a lot about a culture with you know new orleans going through its greek revival phase 30 years after the rest of the country <laughs> and um, sort of slapping it and really really hanging on to a fad and really embracing a fad and slapping those columns onto a creole cottage yeah it tells you a lot about the culture but for me it's always been a little more about the interiors than the exteriors to me the history happened inside mm-hmm. that you know Civil rights was fought on the streets, but it was planned indoors. And the building, the buildings are where the history happened. And, and when you tear it down, you lose a piece of it, I think. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of keeping them in place. I mean, I love buildings. I love the types and the styles and the floor plans and, and all the nerdy things related to the architecture of it. But I don't know, for me, when I walk into a building, you can kind of feel that which came before. Mm-hmm. And I like that in some small way I play a hand in preserving or saving that, mm-hmm. that piece, that essence. Mm-hmm. I like that answer. That's oh, a good thanks. answer. <laughs> I mean, I've liked everybody's answer. Everybody <laughs> I ask, everybody's got a great reason. I mean, that's kind of why it's one of my favorite things to ask people is, yeah. you know, because everybody has their own unique take on it, which is really neat. But what, on the opposite end, what's your least favorite thing? Well, back to interiors, (laughs) Uh, the lack of protection for historic interiors. It's Mm -hmm. what I did my master's thesis on. And I mean, we're never going to be able to tell someone they can't renovate their kitchen, right? Right. But to watch, especially here right now in New Orleans, to watch all this millwork and all this hand-painted wallpaper and all this art end up in dumpsters physically hurts me. Mm -hmm. You know, I understand wanting to open up your floor plan. But like an original floor floor plan can really tell you a lot about how people lived. Mm -hmm. It's really, and it it informs the exterior. So everybody does what we in the industry called facadectomies, where you really just (laughs) save the front of the building and then you build whatever you want behind. And sure, it looks nice and it gives you the idea of preservation, but the windows on that facade were laid out based on what was happening inside. Right. And so it just hurts me. 
Yeah. I hate it. And I don't know that it's something that's ever going to change. I think it's never, ever going to change at the residential level. Right. I own a house. I get it, guys. But I did my thesis on Carnegie Libraries. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for a library to be gutted quite like that. Mm-hmm. Those are the places where I think the we can change our perception of historic interiors. Mm-hmm. That's something that I, it's not... Uh, not been my focus like I'm more of an outside the architectural mm-hmm. details on the outside and 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 a lot of like cemetery stuff mm. but I can understand what you're saying like y- you know you see you see those things preserved in historic house museums mm-hmm. and or um you know places like I don't know I can't even think right now I'm just thinking of like there plantation just aren't that houses. many but yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and you know, so that those are really the only places that you think of that the interior remains mostly untouched, at least you know like to an extent, somewhat intact. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I live in a double shotgun that was renovated before I bought it, and there is literally nothing historic left except I can uh, on my floor I can feel the beam that separated the two. That's it. Yeah. So it is nice having a house finally because like coming from the West Coast, we all lived in you know. Homeowners association governed subdivision communities, and you know, heavens forbid you painted your door red, the world was going to end. Mm-hmm. So, it is nice having just being able to build a fence without having to ask people and actually owning my property. But on the other side, it's gone forever, right? I have aluminum windows, yeah, not vinyl, yeah. aluminum, aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have aluminum windows and brand spanking new molding and. In the 60s, they took out the columns and put in wrought iron. And Yeah. I have gas lamps. I shouldn't have a gas lamp on a shotgun. It's pretty. I'm not taking it down. But <laughs> that's an inappropriate application of gas lamps. Right. <laughs> Do you have any preservation pet peeves? I don't know if it's just preservation specific, but one of my biggest pet peeves, architecturally speaking, in this city is what I call the beijing and graying mm-hmm. of our city. It seems like all of the developers and the flippers and the architects think we want gray houses. I also call gray the new beige, Mm -hmm. that we want gray houses. And one of the things that our city is most known for, and I think one of the things that brought a lot of us transplants here is the vibrancy and Mm -hmm. the energy. and, And they're literally leaching the color out of the city. Color is such an important part of that. And I say that as somebody who lives in a gray house that was grayed out by a flipper. Mm -hmm. If I could justify painting a brand newly painted house, it would probably be purple. Yeah. That's, and you know, every time I see a beige Victorian or a gray shotgun, right? my little piece of me just gets real sad. Yeah. I won't say it dies, but it's real sad. Yeah. (laughs) I also think that there's like, when you go back and you look at the, and this is just New Orleans centric because this is like, you know, what I obviously, what I know the most, but the, the way the city, like the history of the, the changing of the architecture in the city, you have the, the old Spanish, French, Creole things that were always quite colorful Mm -hmm. and bright. And even in the cemeteries, which people, I don't think they always know this, but a lot of those tombs were whitewashed with, an, with a color an additive yeah yeah and so the cemeteries were not white they were colorful here and the buildings were and then you have like as the americans come in and they bring their architectural styles then you get more white you know you get those columns and the white houses and that kind of stuff and then things the trends change like mm-hmm. you were talking about 
and and I th- I feel like there's sort of this idea for people that don't know a lot about the the history of the architecture and the colors here that they think everything was white. I don't know where that has come from, no. but it, it and it's like I see these great houses, like you said, the things from the Victorian era, like big Queen Anne's and Second Empires and other things that are like, you know, white and cream, or notably colorful. Right, you don't do all of that woodwork and then paint it white. Right, yeah. There several a, several colors. Yeah, there was a small Greek revival phase with the Americans, and then that was out, and we were Victorian, Italianate, and Queen Anne, and East Lake. I mean, you don't put all of that effort into all of that amazing woodwork and then just paint it beige. Right. No. Oh, all the color, and even the shotguns. The shotguns are colorful. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't beige. Yeah, that wasn't a that wasn't a thing. No, no. It's <laughs> yeah. and it's just it hurts. Yeah, it I hurts. understand. And I like the purple idea. You probably couldn't tell because it was dark when you got here. But this house is actually purple is on it? the outside. It's very muted. It's like a purpley gray, but it's purple. That's the color purple I would do. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe like some bright teal accents. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. That's, that sounds good. If I could justify the expense. Yeah. <laughs> But it was like freshly painted, so I can't yeah. really. It's like, oh, Europe are painting the house. It's gonna be Europe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always travel, right? That's Every always, time, always, always the top of the list. Every time I have to buy something. Like, how many trips to Europe is this? Right. <laughs> or Asia? Pick one. Pick a place. So, do you have any advice for someone looking to get into preservation? Know what you want to do before you jump in. I didn't. So take it from me. I knew vaguely I wanted to be involved, but there are so many paths that you can take in mm-hmm. the journey that is preservation. Yeah, um, A lot of it is going to determine where you live. And if that's not important to you, great. I don't have children. I don't plan on having children. So when I got offered the job in Jefferson City, Missouri at the SHPO, and I asked them what there is to do there, and it was all family stuff, which is great. I have friends with families. I love hanging out with them on my terms. There was nothing for me to do. What right. was my what was my life going to be like? The job would have been great. I would have loved it. I'm sure I would have had a great time at work. Yeah. So, you know, when I talked to my husband about maybe going the FEMA route or maybe, you know, doing government type things, I'm like, I ask him, do you want to live in D.C.? And he's like, not really. I'm like, well, then it doesn't make sense for me to do this initial job. Mm-hmm. That would be really cool because the progress on it is not where we want to be. Right. And I, you know, know where you know, look into it. Really look into it. It's great. You should do it. But figure out what you want. And ask people. The people at the shippos and the people in the nonprofits, they'll talk to you. They'll tell you what it's really like. We're mm-hmm. very honest know what you want to do then and that will help you pick the right school Mm -hmm. Tulane is great at what Tulane does but I had some friends that really were interested more in materials conservation Mm -hmm. they should have been at Clemson Charleston Mm -hmm. you know they should have been in Natchitoches it wasn't the right fit for them because the focus at Tulane was more history architecture less we had a lovely materials conservation class and I learned a lot in it and we had a great professor Mm -hmm. But that was one class, not, right. you know, when I went and looked at, at the Clemson Charleston program, that's what they were doing. They had microscopes and other science things. This is not my jam. So that relate to that. That will that will also help you make the most out of your education. Mm-hmm. 
because each school has its niche. We can't all do all of it. Right. Know what you want to do and then chase that versus chasing preservation as like a general idea. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good advice. I think that's probably one of the things I would tell myself if I could go back. Yeah. No, and I'm, I loved, I love, I'm glad I went to Tulane and I'm glad that I live here, but you know, hindsight, I would have approached things differently, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah. I, I probably would have too. Cause I looked at SCAD cause they have a program there too, but mm -hmm. it's obviously completely different than the program here because that's an art school. So it's mm -hmm. a different focus. And then we had Michelle Duhon on the podcast and and she went to i can't remember university in texas and hers was way more technology it's just university of texas i isn't it the longhorns i thought i looked at that program no um yes Austin? but i don't feel like no. it was like the actual i feel like it was maybe an offshoot oh. of the main i i don't remember I don't but theirs was like way more technical you know yeah. and it was a two-year program which is different you know like yeah. the Tulane program here is, is three semesters so it all just depends on preservation boot camp yeah <laughs> <laughs> what you want to do and where you want to be and how much yeah. you want to spend I guess yeah that's part of I it went, too I went and looked at Oregon and it was a great program but at the time they were in Eugene mm -hmm. that yeah. didn't that didn't really make sense for me personally mm -hmm. everybody was lovely it was a great program Part of the architecture school, which was an element that was important for me, was that it was an architecture school, not an art school. Mm -hmm. Now they're in Portland. Yeah. That that part of the program is in Portland. But at the time, they weren't Eugene. Yeah. And it just didn't resonate, I guess, with me. Mm -hmm. But it was on my, high on my list, close to my family, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really know what it is you want out of it. Yeah. That's some pretty good advice. Just to wrap up, can you tell everybody what's your social media handle? How can they get in touch with you? They want to find you. All of the contact information. The I'll restate the virtual library web address, which is vucre v i e u x c a r r e dot nola dot gov. It's nice that we get that .gov. It lends us a little more credibility. <laughs> um, but you can also do frenchquarter.nola.gov and get there as well. The foundation is vccfoundation.org, and I'm Brooke at vccfoundation.org with that. But then Tesla Preservation, which is my library hat, is teslapreservation.com, and Brooke at teslapreservation.com. And then we're, I think the only social media platform we're not on in any of those is Twitter. I'm not great at it, if mm -hmm. I'm being perfectly honest. But it's, you know, vcc underscore foundation on, are the handles for both Facebook and Instagram, and then Tesla Preservation is the handle for both Facebook and Instagram. As much consistency as possible. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I will also put when I make the show notes for this episode, I'll put the links in there too for okay. people. They can so they can find everything easily. It's sort of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I definitely want to highlight the website, so we'll we'll make sure that that's big and bold yeah. on there for them to look at. So. I think that's about it for today. Thank you very much for being a guest on the show, Brooke. Thank you for having me. Sure. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let us know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. If you would like to get a direct link to our guest's information or just want to give us a shout, you can contact us by visiting our website at preservationdestination.com. There you can check out each show's notes and much more information about the podcast. If you prefer good old-fashioned social media, we are also on Instagram and Facebook as Preservation Destination. 
Feel free to give us a like and click the follow button to stay informed about upcoming episodes. Again, thank you for being with us, and we hope you'll join us again next time here on Preservation Destination.